Amen. Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. I'm glad you were here. Those of you who are family in town visiting, we're glad all of you are here. Uh, it's a great weekend, uh, Mother's Day, graduation weekend, so a lot of reasons that maybe you were here. Well, thankfully, I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad spring-summer weather is here. Summer schedule is coming into effect for many uh, students are about to be gone for the summer. Uh, some of you will be traveling throughout the summer. Uh, some of you are leaving Durham and transitioning to new places, and we are sad to see you go. And We're going to be praying for you and uh, that God will prepare the places uh, that he's called you to be in. But summer is a different season. It, busyness in general seems to slow down. I am very thankful for seasons like summer. It's a much-needed time for me as a pastor. Uh, I spend some time getting away, uh, praying and planning and studying. Timothy and I will get away to do the same. The staff of our church and leadership in the church will spend some time reflecting over the past year and looking and praying for the future. Uh, and I right now feel a need for this. Uh, the past five years have really flown by for us as a church, and God has been at work in some wonderful ways uh, in our community, and I am very hopeful uh, about the next five years. So I'm excited to get away this summer a little bit and pray uh, about that. I chose the passage that we're looking at this morning to preach on because I believe that it can help us evaluate our life as a body, as a community. It gives a picture of what our life together should be and something to pray toward and for. It has been convicting uh, for me personally to meditate on this passage all week. Uh, I pray uh, that it will be something that is true of our church. It's a, it's a passage familiar to most of you. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard this passage. Uh, so I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand as I read God's Word from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's on the screen in the bulletin. This is God's Word to us this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am then fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Isaiah 40 tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would come now and speak to us thank you that, God, you are love, that you have given us this picture of, of what love looks like within a community. 
I pray that you would lead us to yourself. I pray that you will, would lead us into the ways that maybe we have failed to, to love. But Lord, would we be assured of and would we rest in and would we rejoice in the love of God that never fails unto us? I pray that you would do that this morning. May your spirit speak to our spirits. Remove me, the preacher, so that Jesus is exalted. So in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. 1 Corinthians 13. It is a passage often used in wedding ceremonies. It's a passage that we've seen written in calligraphy and framed, sold in stores, hanging on walls. It's a famous passage. More often than not, it's ripped out of its context. This is not a love song between a man and a woman. It's an indictment on a community for not being a community of love. This is not a Hallmark card. It's a nuclear bomb on a community that's filled with disunity, dysfunction, while still doing many miraculous things. The Corinthian church is a multi-ethnic church, Jew and Greek together. It's a multi-class church. There are manual laborers like Aquila and Priscilla and house owners like Crispus and Stephanus. It's a church that has many gifted people and the Spirit of God is working mightily in and through them while there is still, at the same time, great disunity, fighting, complaining, and rivalry. The church in Corinth was the happening church. It was the place where spectacular things were going on, miracles, sensational experiences, but it was also a church full of divisions and moral lapses. I have to stop and bring it to bear to our church. We desire here at Christ Central to be a multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-generational church, diverse in every aspect of the word, and we have work to do as a church to be more of that. But God has been doing great things in us and through us, and we are a church full of very gifted people. I'm humbled when I think about all who God's placed in our church. Disunity, fighting, complaining, dysfunction, moral lapses is a very real threat if it doesn't already exist within us. The Apostle Paul does not write this passage as some fairy tale love story. He writes this to say what they were and weren't doing as the church. And a church can be doing great things and be very unhealthy. Unhealthy because of the presence of envy, jealousy, boasting, rudeness, pride, self-seeking. And the antidote is love. Is love. I learned one uh, of one of the fathers of Christian rock this past week. I didn't grow up on Christian rock, never heard of Larry Norman, but I learned a little bit about him this past week, and he wrote some great songs. He influenced a wide array of people, both spiritual and secular, uh, in uh, his uh, time as a musician, and I came across Larry Norman's rendition of 1 Corinthians 13, and I doubt anyone would want this read at their wedding. Listen to what Larry Norman sings. He says, you can be a righteous rocker or a holy roller. You could be most anything. You can be a Leon Russell or a super muscle. You could be a corporate king. You could be a wealthy man from Texas or a witch with heavy hexes. But without love, you ain't nothing without love. Without love, you ain't nothing without love. You could be a brilliant surgeon or a sweet young virgin or a harlot out to sell. You could learn to play the blues or be Howard Hughes or the Scarlet Pimpernel. 
or you could be a French provincial midwife or go from door to door with a death knife. But without love, you ain't nothing without love. Without love, you ain't nothing without love. You could be a woman feeler or a baby stealer. You could drink your life away. Or you could be a holy prophet, get a blessing off it. Or you could fast for 50 days. You could shake your hand with the devil or give your life to God on the level. But without love, you ain't nothing without love. Without love, you ain't nothing without love. Without love, you ain't nothing. And that is the bomb that Paul is dropping on this church. Spirituality without love has no value. It's pointless. Here's my first point this morning. The absence and the priority of love. We see it in verses 1 through 3 and verses 8 through 13. In verses 1 through 3, Paul is communicating what's true, what they have in this church. Spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, excitement about what, who God is. There's great generosity. They're giving away all that they have. There's even martyrdom, giving their body to be burned. All great things. But Paul says you can have all of this and love be absent, and it equals zero. It amounts to nothing. Now hear me, Paul is not down on tongues. He's not down on generosity and philanthropy. He's just very high on love. So let me break this down on the individual and a church level. Individually, you can be very busy doing spiritual things. Disciplined in reading the Bible and in prayer. You can be faithful in your tithing. You can avoid adultery. You can seek justice for the poor and the marginalized. And you can be a spiritual train wreck if you don't have love, if you're not doing everything in and for love. Christ Central Church, we can come in and have a great Sunday morning worship experience, have great music. We have great city groups, be a church that seeks to make mature followers and disciples of Christ. We can be a church that shares our faith with the city. We can have outreach programs of housing and education and engage the Hispanic community, but our sum total without love is zero. Spirituality without love equals nothing. Paul is uncovering the motive of what drives spirituality. As individuals or as a, as a church, we can work hard for all kinds of reasons spiritually. We can often look at results to measure our spirituality. But Paul uses a different evaluation metric. Is it done in and for love? Sacrificial service, giving, can be done for wrong reasons, for selfish reasons. You've been around people like this. Maybe this has been you. It's been me. You give, you give, and it could be your time, it could be your money, it could be your service. And the main motive underlying, not always known, not always articulated, is to feel better about yourself. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, gave an illustration to drive this point home. He says there was once a, a gardener who lived in a kingdom. One day he grew this huge carrot and brought it to the king. And he said, my Lord, this is the greatest thing I've ever grown, and I want to give it to you. And the king says, wait, I own the land next to your garden. Take it and garden the whole thing. I see that I can trust you. And the nobleman heard this conversation, and he said, well, if you get that much for a carrot, how much more would you get for something else? So the next day he came before the king leading a huge, beautiful horse. And he said, this is the finest horse ever bred. 
I want you to have it because of the king that you are. And the king understood what was going on, and he said, the gardener was giving me the carrot, and you were giving yourself the horse. Spurgeon then said, if you give anything to people so that you feel good about yourself, if you give something to God so that you feel better about yourself, then it's all for you. If you're clothing the naked, you're clothing yourself. That's scary, isn't it? Scary for me that I can be up here on a Sunday morning and it be about me more than it is about my king. can lead city groups, serve in outreach, and it can be done for selfish reasons. There can be a lot of noise going on in our church, but if love is absent, it equals nothing. Verse 8 says, love never ends. Love never ends. As for spiritual gifts, they'll pass away. The Corinthian church, was, they were doing a lot of comparing with one another, a lot of measuring against each other, uh, who had the better spiritual gifts. And so for, for them, they were doing a lot of who's above and who's below rather than how am I doing at loving one another. And it led to a lot of feelings of superiority and inferiority. And Paul says, one day spiritual gifts are going to end. Love is what lasts. Love will win out. Love never ends. And he uses the Greek word telos. Love is the end. Telos means the end. Telos means the, the fullness of being that comes from being the condition of what you were designed to do. Say that again. Telos means the fullness of being that comes from being the condition of what you were designed to do. Love is our telos. Love is what we were created for and the end to which we are headed. Now imagine an incredibly powerful whale. Huge, majestic tail, but this whale's not going anywhere because the whale is on the beach. He's out of his element. He's out of that which he was designed for. Even the exertion of his strengths hurt him and those around him, but you put this whale in the ocean into that which it was built for, that's his telos. That's his end. Love is the grand vision of the new heavens and the new earth. A new creation where love between God and humanity is perfect. Love between humanity and humanity is perfect, and love between humanity and the physical world is perfect. That's where we're headed. Love never ends. And then Paul gives two analogies to drive the priority of love. The first analogy in verse 11, the analogy of childishness. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I reasoned like a child. You all have been around children, haven't you? Some of you have some. My two-year-old this past week has been communicating by roaring like a dragon. <laughs> so I'm like, we're like, where is this coming from? You know, he stomps around, he roars like a dragon. Paul gives this analogy that a community that lives as if spiritual gifts are the first priority are acting like children. Love is the mature way of communicating. Spiritual gifts are for a season. Tongues and service and generosity. You can think we hold the advanced degree because of our participation in these gifts, but they're actually nursery rhymes while love is the advanced degree. The second analogy that Paul gives is that of a mirror. 
You know, Corinth was a city that actually manufactured mirrors. So Paul, what he's doing is he knows his context, and he gives an analogy that they can understand and says it's like a mirror. You now see dimly that your experience of God is not full. It's dim. Your end, your telos, is a face-to-face experience, a face-to-face intimate love with God. Love is what it's all about. Love is what we were destined for, face-to-face intimacy with our Father. Love for Him and love for one another. And without love, all of our busyness, all of our doing holds no value. So what is love? What is it? I think we have some silly ideas about love. I think it's hard to define in some ways. So what Paul does is he describes the presence of love in a community. He paints a picture of love. And this is my second point, the presence and the picture of love in verses 4 through 7. Can, can you remember being in school and they would roll call, roll call? Bobby, absent, present. Christy, absent, present. Daniel, absent, present. Well, verses 4 to 7 is Paul taking roll call on the Corinthian church. Love, absent or present. It's kind of a spiritual audit that he's taking. Love, are you here? Love, are you present? And he gives a picture, not a sentimental picture, but one that is rich and deep and fierce and strong. He gives positives and negatives, uh, adjectives to describe a love, verbs to personify it. So I just say brace yourself here because this picture of love has been convicting for me all week. But look at how he describes it. Love is patient. It's patient. It's an attribute every one of us wants to have, but no one likes being tested to see if we have it because it means that you're being bothered and you're having to endure. And who wants to be bothered? Love is kind. Kindness and attitude and word and indeed. Love does not envy or boast. Boasting is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They thought their gifts were better than others, and it was tearing at the fabric of their community. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't look up nor down at another person. Love's not arrogant or rude. The wealthy and the influential were shaming and marginalizing the poor among them. Love's not rude. It's not arrogant. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Who in here doesn't want their own way? dare you to raise your hand. I know. And we all want our own way. I do. My wife is back. Like, Amen. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is flexible for the sake of each other. It doesn't need credit. doesn't need to be noticed. Love's not irritable or resentful. If you haven't been convicted yet, now the hammer is being really dropped, especially on me. It's not irritable. Irritability is anger that's been buried that comes to the surface. It's anger buried that you try to keep down, but it's like a ball that you're trying to hold underwater. Sooner or later, it just pops up. Irritability is more than just, I'm having a bad day, I'm in a bad mood. It's anger inside and underneath, more often rooted in resentment. That you're holding something against another person. Love is slow to anger. It's quick to forgive. It's quick to reconcile. Love believes all things. 
not naive and gullible, but it gives the benefit of the doubt. It's not suspicious of another person. Love hopes all things. Even when disappointed by others and by outcomes, you live with hope for the future. Love endures all things, welcomes difference, and embraces and includes with patience. It doesn't disengage when things get hard. It stays strong in adversity and indifference. Now, Paul's not calling for a love that's blind, for a love that's like, let's just pretend everything's okay. Paul's eyes are wide open while he's writing this passage, and he is kind and hopeful and strong in loving them by writing this. Love is not just continuous affirmation without confrontation. Love at times is bold confrontation. But it's confrontation that you do not for your own sake, but for the sake of the other. Love is always oriented toward others. It's resilient and it's lasting. In a healthy community come good times and great ministry or hard times and it seems like there's no fruit in ministry. Love endures. Love lasts. Now maybe you're feeling or you're thinking, is this type of love even possible? Is this real? I mean, come on. Is it, it's kind of impossible to love like this. How, how can we love like this? How can we as a church love like this? I'll tell you that it's not going to happen by me telling you to go love like this. It's not going to happen by me giving you a pep talk and, and then saying, all right, go, go love. It'll only happen when we are recipients of the kind of love that we long for. And we're transformed into the conduits of love that we receive. This past week, I had four friends that expressed love for me in a very profound and tangible way. And it did something deep inside of me. It did a lot inside of me. The first, my first thing was, like, man, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And then it, it, it made me feel affirmed and secured in their love. Like, they love me. They, they don't want to go away from me. They're with me. And then it made me want to go love other people. I'm ready to go love. So how are we going to love like 1 Corinthians 13? We realize that the type of love Paul is describing, describing is the type of love each and every one of us have longed for our whole lives. This is the type of love we've longed for. It's what we want. Every one of us, every single person here wants to be loved with patience, kindness, humility, with a willingness to be flexible, with understanding, bearing, believing, hoping, enduring. I want that, don't you? It's what we were created for. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. In Romans 5.8, God shows us His love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Through the love of Christ, we get to experience the face-to-face -face love of the Father. The love that we've always longed for. And so listen to verses 4-7 through seven again, and let me insert God here. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy or boast. God's not arrogant or rude. God's not irritable or resentful. God doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God is what we long for. 
Relationship with God is what we were created for, and it's where we're headed. Eternity face-to-face with our Father. Runaway Bunny is a classic children's book. Many of you have read it. Maybe many of you mothers read it to your children. We read it to ours. It's not a, a complicated story. It's about a little bunny who wants to run away, comes to his mom, and he tells his mom, Mom, I'm running away. And the mother says, well, if you run away, I'm going to run after you because you're my little bunny. He says, well, if you run after me, I'll become a fish in a trout stream, and I'll swim away from you. And the mother says, well, if you become a fish in a trout stream, I'll become a fisherman, and I'll fish for you. And the little bunny keeps coming up with things to be. I'll be a rock. I'll be a bird. I'll be a sailboat. And his mom keeps coming up with how she will pursue him. Well, I'll be a mountain climber. I'll be a tree to land in. I'll be the wind to your sails. And no matter where the little bunny goes, his mother pursues him. Someone pursuing us no matter where we run. It's a love that we all long for. It's a love that we're looking for in so many relationships with one another. And it is the love that is on display in the gospel of Jesus. When we experience the love of Christ and the love of our Father, we will obey the two great commandments to love Him and to love others. It will just happen. When you receive and rest in God's love for you, you will be motivated not for yourself but for love. So do you just convince yourself to go and understand God's love and tell yourself to get get it and you got it now and now you're going to love? I don't think it works like that. I think you're going to have to sit in it. I think you've got to enjoy it. I think you need to experience God's love. You know, my oldest son loves Eye of the Tiger, the song. Like We get in the car, he's like, Eye of the Tiger, he asked for it. I want to play Eye of the Tiger. Now, is, his, is, that, I was thinking this way, is that his favorite song because we said, okay, buddy, it's gonna be, Eye of the Tiger is going to be your favorite song. Got it. You got it. No. Rachel and I played it in the, in the car, and we started dancing. We played it again, and we sang, and we danced to it. He started to enjoy our enjoyment in it. And each time he enjoyed it more and more until he danced more and more. God has given us his love and means to experience his love. The word of God, prayer, corporate worship on a Sunday morning, getting out into nature, looking and beholding art, contemplation, silence. All of these are means by which we can enjoy God's love more and more. And when we do, we might find ourselves dancing and loving others around us. So how much time do you sit? Sit, not busy doing, but sit underneath receiving and resting in God's love for you. The more that we understand and experience and receive his love, the more we'll love him and the more we'll love others. There's a prayer that I've been praying a lot recently out of the Anglican Communion, you know, their Book of Common Prayer. Listen to this prayer. I think it's a pretty good way to close. It's a good, pretty good prayer for you to pray. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. We need Jesus. 
And we need to meet love over and over in order to be a community where love is present. For without love, our spirituality has no value. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, amen.